every camera these days takes photos. It's up to the photographer to make the photo that you want to make. So the best camera for the job is the camera you have in your hand. Welcome back to another episode of Above the Fold with the Ag Communicators Network. I'm Kelsey Litchfield, and today's episode is brought to you by Wiffles Hybrids. I am continuing my mini-series of Let's Talk Gear with today's guest, Katie Knapp, also known as the Ag Photographer, and she's also the field editor for The Furrow. Katie shares how she started her career into photography, and also her photo processes, her techniques, and a lot of valuable information on how to build your camera and lenses inventory. She shares what's in her gear bag, and then we also talk about the critical point about how the person behind the camera is what makes the photo. So let's dive in and start today's episode with Katie Knapp. I got into photography kind of just by chance. I went to the University of Illinois and have an ag comm degree. And back when I was there, um, which now feels like a long time ago, we had a dark room uh, that was dedicated to the ag comm department, which was awesome because our, part, our department was super small compared to the art school or the media college. Um, so we didn't have to share it with um, all of the general communicators or general photographers. And I took uh, intro to photography, not once, but twice. I took it as the regular course and then liked it so much that I took it as an independent study again. Um, and we learned both technique and theory. And I really I fell in love with like Dorothea Lang's work from the Dust Bowl era and the Farm Service Act, um, those uh, grant projects and um, the storytelling that photography can do versus words alone or in comparison to words. And uh, we learned photography technique on black and white, old school, you know, liter at that point, you know, it was the early 2000s, but we were working on 1970s black and white film cameras and developing and printing ourselves in the darkroom. And that really gave me a solid foundation and got me to where I am now, you know, almost two decades later. I started my career in advertising and PR agencies and slowly added the photography onto it as I was doing field rides with sales reps and customers. And um, I would just take the agency camera with me and get those testimonial photos and whatever. And it just kind of snowballed. And then I got my master's in visual sociology to really broaden and deepen the understanding of how photography and visuals impact our storytelling and how the audience receives those messages. And then did a little bit of market research agency work and started the Ag Photographer in 2016. So here we are now. So Katie, when you were talking about going to the University of Illinois, getting some training, getting some education in photography, do you feel that was crucial to being a photographer, having that formal education, 
or did you think you'll eventually learn it by going out and doing, or is it a combination of both? Um, yes and no. So I would not be a photographer had I not taken that class. I, I, it wasn't something that I was already dabbling in as far as professional photos. Um, you know, of course I was taking photos, but snapshots of just daily life. Um, but I wouldn't have at least as soon found that. I don't think, I think that was the foundation that I needed in order to get here. Um, the same thing as, you know, I haven't taken a accounting class, so I'm not going to be an accountant because that's not in my, it's not in my radar. <laughs> um, but do you need formal education? Absolutely not. Uh, when I was considering grad school, I considered photojournalism as a program. And I was like, that is a gross waste of money. I can learn what I need to learn by doing online courses. I can go to the Saturday all day workshops. I can do, you know, just learn so much more by doing um, the, the point in my career photography uh, trajectory that my my skills increased the most was the years that I was doing a photo a day project forcing myself to take a photo and publish it on social media every day no matter what the circumstances were and some days I had my full kit with me some days I just had my iPhone with me some days I purposely said I'm just taking one lens you know, those kind of things, or, you know, the only thing I didn't leave my house. So the most interesting thing was my cereal, you know, making a good photo out of that and improve my technical skills the most. Um, the theory you have to, you have to work to find that information, right? And I, I eventually want to get to the gear part of it, but yeah. let's, let's go down this road because I think it's important um, like we talked about in our messages, the piece of advice someone gave to me when I first got my camera was read the manual, understand your camera, know your camera, but let your own creativity flow. So I feel like there's a balance. You don't want to just take your camera out and, you know, start shooting away, but yet you do to learn it. So it, it's, it's about getting to know the technical aspect, I feel like, but also not limiting yourself. How do you feel about that? hundred percent. You have to know the rules to break them. Uh, if you go back to the very first photos I took with my digital camera, woof, um, they're laughable, um, cringeworthy, whatever. Um, you know, and I, I, I hadn't read the manual <laughs> and the first digital cameras I was working on a, what did I have? A D40. I mean, those like, you know, an iPhone, the first iPhone was better than that. Um, but, and then you compare that back to the film camera that I had come from, it just didn't do the same things, right? And I didn't, in order to get the photo to look right, I like over-processed, I put heavy vignettes on it, I tilted the camera, you know, all those things instead of just taking a good photo to start with. Um, and so my, my um, process has evolved or circled back to just get it right in camera, 
minimal processing, get it right in camera. And in order to get it right in camera, you have to know how your camera works and you know you have to know what right is. So is right, you know, however it looks to you at the time that you click the shutter, does the data that go, gets captured in the camera match the representation in your mind at the time? It's very subjective. Is the horizon straight or not is your choice, but you have to know if it's not straight, why is it not straight? Because the viewer expects the horizon to be straight. So if it's not straight, is it on purpose? If it's not on purpose, it's not right, right? And that's the technique, right? That you have to know that a horizon needs to be straight. There's a point of being artistic about it. And a photographer is an artist. So learning your camera, but yet being creative is very important. And like you said, you've learned it along the way. It's not something you just learn overnight. It takes years practice. Yeah, it's definitely definitely a practice. Talking about the equipment is important and knowing it, but the person behind it is equally or maybe even more important than the equipment itself. And you know, it's important to have good equipment, learn it, but it's also about you and the art that you are trying to project. Yes. Yes. There are certain tools that you need in order to get certain shots, but um, I saw on one of the Facebook forums the other day, somebody asked the question, I need a new camera. What should I get? Well, as my, um, psychologist uncle would always say it depends <laughs> it depends um and one of the responses was from um scott stebner who um is a great photographer has won the acn or maybe it was aea at the time award um contest um he's he's fantastic if you don't follow his work on social media pause go follow him on instagram um, but his response was every camera takes photos. You know, you get to choose beyond that, you know, the technology of all of these cameras has evolved, um, so that whichever brand category you go with, you're going to get a high quality product. That was not the case decades ago. Um, but now if you shoot Nikon, if you shoot Canon, if you shoot Sony, if you shoot Fuji, I was listening to a gear review from B&H Photo, the um, big photo store from New York. Um, maybe over the winter, they were reviewing mirrorless cameras. Pentax has one. That's wonderful. They just don't have a big marketing budget. So we don't know about it, right? So they're all good cameras. But um, knowing how they work and knowing if they're working correctly is important. Um, one of the conversations I was having recently, I know a lot of people in our group shoot with the Nikon D7000 series cameras. So maybe it's a 7000, maybe it's 7100, maybe it's 72. I don't, 
I think there's 75. Um, there's a whole range of those cameras that are fantastic cameras for, I think they're like in the prosumer, kind of quasi-consumer, quasi-professional realm. They're all um, cropped sensors, which if you don't, when I say cropped sensors, if you don't know what that means versus full frame, pause, Google. Um, but they're all cropped sensors, which means you have less pixels, which means you have less file size. So you can work with that on your memory card and your computer better, but you might not be able to blow it up as high, but it also affects the um, distance, the lens. Uh, if you have like a, a 50 millimeter lens, like does that actually mean 50? It means different things on a full frame versus cropped sensor. All that to say, those cameras are wonderful from a price point and a workhorse and all that, but they have an inherent flaw. Mine had this flaw. They don't always focus correctly. And every lens that you put onto the body needs to be calibrated so that the focus point is actually focusing where you put it. So when you shoot, say a portrait and you put the focus spot on somebody's eye or the bridge of their nose, or, you know, if it's a cow, like, you know, you're choosing the snout or something, right? And when you get your camera, your photo back, it's fuzzy or the opposite, like the ear is in focus instead of the eye or the lips are in focus instead of the nose or something like that. It's a calibration issue. That whole series of camera has an issue. If you don't know how your camera works and if you don't know enough about setting the focus point and you're just on autofocus, that's your fault, not the camera's fault. But you can fix it really, really easy to fix. YouTube videos, you, you get this little um, contraption that you set it on, or you can take it to your local camera store. If you don't have a local camera store, you can send it into one. They'll fix it, 50 bucks, done. Um, and I had this conversation with an, um, another member recently of like, he's like, oh, I'll just get a new camera. Like if, if it, you know, putting this in farmer speak, if your yield is not what you want it to be, getting a new combine, does that fix it? No, you got to calibrate your planter so that your depth is correct and your population is correct and all that, like super easy fix. That's a good analogy. A, I went down a rabbit hole. Does that make no, sense? that's okay. okay. No, it makes perfect sense. Okay. It's a good analogy to have because one camera equipment's expensive and if it can be fixed, um, do so. But also I think, um, I've learned this the past two years working with a lot of video cameras is taking care of your equipment so it lasts and has longevity, but get to know it and understand it. And that will take you farther, I think, in the long run. Now, going back to earlier, when someone said the advice of read your owner's manual, did I read it entirely? No. Do I regret it? Yes, because I feel like I could use my camera a whole lot better if I took the time to understand it better and realize its capacity because these cameras are have come so far, as you alluded to, what they can do. Um, 
the possibilities are almost endless and the choices are endless. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to see, let's pivot. Let's talk about the equipment you use. So tell me what's in your camera bag. Um, and what equipment you use maybe from full-fledged photo shoots to some equipment that you just use on the go to get that photo. So I'm an icon shooter um, at the moment because purely because when I got my first D40 way back when my friends who were professional photographers were Nikon shooters and so I got Nikon because A at the time Nikons were a little cheaper than Canons and I had resources, right? I could call Holly and say, where's this in the menu, right? Um, same, you know, kind of close your eyes, point at a wall. Are you going to go Mac? Are you going to go PC? Like it just, I went Nikon. So I've stuck with Nikon because I've built up my lenses there. <clears throat> now I said earlier about fixed or uh, full frame and cropped sensors, <clears throat> the lenses are different if, when you make that switch. So eventually I moved to a um, D7000. Then I shot with that when I started my business and it was great um, until it was not great because the um, lens calibration issue. And then I could tell the images just weren't as sharp as I wanted them to be. My skills and uh, the type of customers I had, clients I had, I had outgrown my camera. So I switched and upgraded to um, the 750 and shot both of them for a while, the 7000 and the 750. And the reason I, um, I still shoot with two bodies now, uh, the reason I shoot with two bodies is because of lenses. Uh, I like to have full capacity on my depth of field. I like to have really fast lenses. I want a lens that goes down to, you know, at least 2.8. Um, and so the camera makers, the lens makers do not make an all-in-one lens, all-in-one meaning that it goes from 18 to 200 focal length um, that goes that um, low an f-stop because that's just asking the lens to do too much. Like you can't have the high quality you want and all of that in one package. So to have two lenses, one that's 18 to 70 and then 70 to 200, I shoot in dusty environments. We all shoot in dusty environments and also ever-changing environments. I want that whole capacity available to me at the same time. So I shoot with two bodies, one lens mounted to one and the other lens. Now I've always put the shorter lens, the 18 to 70 on the better quote unquote camera body because the details are going to show up. The compression of the longer lens can hide a little bit of the details um, that the lower end body maybe can't do as well, right? Uh, so anyway, so I shot, shot with the 750 for a long time. I still shoot with that camera. I love it. Um, then I upgraded 
the I switched from the 7,000, put that in retirement and got an 850. The 850 is lovely. Uh, it's a wonderful camera. Um, if I wasn't as frugal as I am, I probably would have immediate, when I started shooting with that, I probably would have immediately got rid of the 750 as well and gotten to 850, but I can't, couldn't justify the cost of that. I'm kind of on the like halfway up the left side of the bell curve as far as adoption of technology and stuff. I don't like to be the first one to try things. I want me, I want the bugs to be worked out a little bit and the price to come down just a little bit and the resources surrounding it to be there before I jump in. So I haven't switched to mirrorless yet. And the analogy I used the other day to like say why I haven't switched to mirrorless yet is that I feel like my cameras have like 45,000 miles on it for a car. Like I haven't got to the 75,000, 100,000 miles yet of my camera. Like they're still, they're still producing great images. They're still in great shape. They're paid for all the things. And I like my lenses. I really like my lenses. So I'm going to pivot over to lenses first before we talk about mirrorless. The lenses I shoot because I shoot Nikon, I shoot third-party lenses. I have Tamron G2 lenses, which they brought the G2 line out at least five years ago, if not 10 years ago by now. They're fantastic lenses comparable to the name brand lenses in the same. I haven't done the comparison on the Canon side, but on the Nikon side, the price was significantly cheaper and the quality was negligibly different. So why not go the less expensive route as a freelancer? Um, but also the bigger lens, um, the 7H200 was much lighter. Like, okay, duh, decision made. And how I made those decisions was I rented equipment. I rent from either my local shop here in town. Minneapolis has fantastic um, photo stores still it, with a full suite of rental equipment. Um, but also I rent through the online vendor Borrow Lenses. There used to be two that just merged. The other one was like lensrental.com or something like that, but they, they're the same company now. And so I, I rented the whole, all of them and tried them for a week and compared them and then bought what I want again, because, you know, I wanted to have a proven piece of equipment um, where I'm at on the adoption curve. So moving into mirrorless, we're all going to switch to mirrorless sooner or later. It is inevitable. The camera makers are no longer making the high-end professional um, DSLRs. They are putting all of their resources into producing excellent mirrorless cameras. There's so many benefits to mirrorless. If you have not played with one yet, go to your rental store, rent one online, play with it. You're going to be ready to write a check as soon as you have to give it back. It's amazing. I said earlier, all camera makers make cameras that make images. Like it really will come down to a personal preference of the serviceability, the price, the suite of lenses, 
all of those kind of things, what you choose. Um, I have not switched yet because my cameras are not worn out, but mostly because of the lenses that are available. They, the lens makers have not been as quick as the camera body makers. So there's not as many lenses available. And if you wanna use your lenses that are on your, for your DSLR, you have to add adapter. And I'm not certain, I'm not confident that the adapter will work with my third party lens in the same quality as if I was using a Nikon lens adapted to a Nikon body, you know what I mean? So I'm just holding until the next wave of lenses come out and then I will be switching over. And then somebody can borrow, buy my A50 if you want it, if you're in the used market, which I will say the used market, like absolutely go for it, go for it. Where do you learn all of this information at? Do you subscribe to any resources, newsletters, blogs, emails? Like this is a lot of information, like good information. I'm curious, has it just taken years of practice to learn all of this? Yes, to all of that. Um, I have been a freelancer since 2016. I mean, so that's years of just uh, like osmosis in information, right? Um, you don't stay a successful freelancer if you're not growing and learning, same as you're not a successful farmer if you're not growing and learning every year and adjusting and adapting. Um, I talked about the D7000 series um, calibration issue. I had no idea that was a thing until it happened to me and I was on a shoot and I was like, why are all these people not in focus? And I took it. I either showed it to one of my fellow photographers or I showed it to the guy at the camera store and I was like, help. And they're like, oh, da -da 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 -da, fixed, right? Or, you know, this is how you fix it. Um, so asking, like having that set of resources, um, you know, ACN is a fantastic organization that I've learned so much through and the various parts of my career, you know, all of the different buckets, but it's not the only organization I I'm a member of. Um, I am a member of the American Society of Media Photographers, ASMP. Um, and so those are all the photographers that work for all the big papers and National Geographic and Getty, all of those. So um, big, big time people, right? So I'm learning from them and watching their things. Like I said, I pay attention to what the um, photo stores the camera stores are putting out um same same way I like to put my hat on of like okay so I'm writing content I'm shooting content for our farmers for these trade magazines if if I'm the customer where is that if where's that trade information for me right so it's going to Nikon just like the farmer goes to the seed company or you know whatever right so finding those resources and asking questions and not being yeah. not being okay with status quo, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a perfect way to put it. Um, and going back to your point of renting, that was one of my questions. Well, like it's expensive and you just don't want to go out and buy a camera. You want to do that test drive just like you do with a vehicle. So I think that's an important point to put out there. As someone that lives in a rural area, that would be something I would look into because you make a great point. Try it out. See if you do like it. See if you don't like it. Um, 
and then follow people that you appreciate your work, ask them questions. I follow a couple of YouTubers where I'm like, their video cameras are amazing. Come to learn they're very expensive <laughs> cameras, uh, maybe someday, but just, just learning and absorbing and seeing what's in your budget as well as important. So I, it takes a lot of research, you know, to find that piece of equipment that will work for you. But like we said earlier, equally learning the equipment and making sure that you are driving it as well. It's an analogy all related to a vehicle, it seems like. Another reason for renting um, that I like, I, I rent more than just for test driving. Um, I rent for a few different reasons. A big one is insurance. Um, your equipment needs to be insured, first of all. <laughs> like, it's very expensive. Insure it. Um, if you're like this, my business is set up as a sole proprietor. So that means that all of my personal equipment is also business equipment and vice versa. Like, it's all the same, like one pocket, other pocket, same pair of jeans, right? If you're an LLC or something else, like, make sure your insurance is written so that your business equipment is insured properly or, you know, vice versa. But um, I wasn't quite sure that my equipment was insured correctly out of country recently. And I didn't have the energy to figure all of that out. And also I shoot with two bodies that are really heavy. And I was going to um, Ecuador for a leadership um, trip with the state ag leadership program. And I didn't want to take all my camera stuff with me. I wanted to take a good camera, but I didn't want to take it off. So I was like, okay, I'm going to sacrifice all of this range of ability for weight. So I rented a mirrorless camera with an all-in-one lens, a $5,000 kit probably for like $500 for the week, fully insured. If I dropped it off the cliff, I'd be really sad, but paid for, right? Like covered. It was my own equipment and probably not, right? Um, so that's one reason to rent when the equipment you have is just not right for the job. Um, and the other reason I rent is for biosecurity. If I'm going to a hog farm and I have to, you know, take my camera in and all of that. And then also your camera is going to smell for two weeks afterwards. And like, as much as you clean it, like it's still going to smell like a hog farm. But if you have to go to another farm right after that, like, is it clean or not? Like, I don't know. So I will rent a camera and then send it back, put a dryer sheet in the box and it like absorbs some of the, the smell the poor people who open it when they get it back. But um, th those are reasons I have also rented. Very good reasons. That's interesting. I've never even think about renting, to be honest. It's always buy. Let's go buy something. But you gave perfectly good reasons. The same reason is you would rent a car to go on a long trip because you don't want to put the miles on your car or you need a truck for the day and you have a car, right? Same, same kind of reasons. Katie, is there one piece of equipment maybe you've already shared that you simply cannot live without? Yes. Like what is one thing you cannot live without? The day I finally got a harness 
was life changing. So I have said multiple times I shoot with two cameras. I used to just have the like the strap that came with the camera, that terrible, itchy, hard, woven, unsupportive, terrible thing. <laughs> Both of them around my neck. Oh my gosh, my back hurts so bad after a day. Um, or I would like put them like crossways and then it's like choking me. Like it was awful. And then I finally spent the hundred bucks and got a harness that has, you know, neoprene supported. It's got a, um, like strap cross front, like, you know, your back, your like backpacking backpack, you know, that extra support. It's a, puts the weight out on your shoulder so that your whole skeleton is holding it up. They're on quick release uh, things. So you can take them off the strap. You can adjust all of that like game changer. I can send you a link so you can put it in the show notes. Um, the brand I have makes multiple sizes. So there's like a narrow one and a broader one. So if you're a big beefy guy, you can get a bigger one. If you're a petite lady, you can get one that like fits on your shoulders correctly. Game changer. That's also something you can rent also from these camera stores though. So like when I go to a hog farm, I will rent a new one so that, cause you can't put it in the washing machine. Um, yeah, game changer. I can't live without it now. Yeah. Is there a rental place that does things online and ships? Like yeah. for people that don't live. Yeah. So it's called borrowlenses.com and they ship today. Um, so like, you know, today's Wednesday. You could have something on Friday. For me who lives well, in and a honestly, small that's village. What I, that's what I use most of the time. I, I do use, if I just need something for the day, I'll get it from here in town. But if I need it for the week or something, I'll rent it from the place in California. Katie, wrapping up our conversation, it's, it's been great having you. Thank you for, for doing this. I've learned so much and this was exactly my goal with these interviews, learn about the gear, but also it's just more than just the gear that we're talking about. It's important to have good tools, but it's the person driving it as well. That has to continuously work on themselves, work on your photography skills. So how are you going to continue to do that? How are you going to continue to grow in your profession of photography? I was just cleaning up my office not too long ago and found a roll of film that hadn't been developed. And it was from the like year after college and it was black, you know, black and white. Um, And I got it developed, which there are still places that develop film. And it made me so happy to like look at them and like see and my um, film camera is sitting on the shelf right here and it hasn't been touched in years. So I think I'm going to go buy some film and play with that and get back to the the core manual sense of how the camera works and focusing on, you know, you've got 35 frames get it right in the camera, wait two weeks to get it back to see if you got it right. You know, put, cr- the best creativity comes out of the smallest box, right? So I think I'm going to play with that a little bit more this winter or in the next whatever time frame. Yeah. Have fun with it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure people still use Kodak cameras 
where they have to go and to the store and hand it over. And that's still a reoccurring thing. I still see quite a bit of people do that. My hope for me, and this is just what I've been thinking about a lot within the past years, I take so many photos on my iPhone and they never make it off of it. So I wanted to make a point to use my own camera more, get things printed and put up and decorate and use those photos so they just don't live on my iPhone or they just don't live on my camera and actually do something with them. That's my goal. So I just thought I'd share because now that I'm saying out loud, some people will keep me accountable to do so. Yes. Yes. I have the digital version of so many shoe boxes full of negatives, all the, all the raw photos that I have yet to develop process for years that I should be doing stuff with as well. So if anybody needs photos, you just let me know and I'll find them for you. (laughs) Yes. Katie, is there anything else you didn't share today that you want to make sure you tell our audience members, whether it comes to photography or ag communications in general? Well, I would reiterate the point of every camera these days takes photos. It's up to the photographer to make the photo that you want to make. So the best camera for the job is the camera you have in your hand, whether that is your iPhone at the moment or it is your full suite of professional gear. Um, Making those choices before you hit the shutter is what makes a good photo or a great photo or a terrible photo, right? So make the choices, develop the muscle memory so that you know how to use your camera so that it happens over and over and over again. Thank you to Katie for being on the Above the Fold podcast. Like each and every episode, I know I say this time and time again, but I learned so much in each episode and I hope you do as well. Please check out the show notes to find what equipment and gear we talked about. We have some links for you there. And thank you to today's sponsor, Wiffles Hybrids. It is harvest season, so I just want to quickly say to all the farmers and all the farm families and all the workers, everyone out there, have a safe and bountiful harvest this fall. I'm Kelsey Litchfield. Thanks for listening.